everybody thinks you can't measure culture, you can't measure psych safety. Absolutely, you can. It's measured by behaviors, and and typically, it's measured by what you don't see. Right. So, a perfect example of this is when you have a healthy culture, you know about mistakes immediately because people feel comfortable reporting. They're like, "Oh, this happened. All right, how can we prevent it?" Okay. If you are getting a high degree of reports of mistakes intelligent failures, you know, you've got a great culture. The reporting should go up, not down. Okay. So that's a, that's a great, another frame of reference. So get ready to be uncomfortable and get ready for that to be okay for everybody. And that's part of it. Get comfortable with discomfort because that's where growth and that's where the great ideas actually happen. Welcome to CEO on the go, the show about personal and professional growth for busy leaders like you. I'm Gail Lance, and I'm here to help you think differently, solve big problems, and inspire change. It's tough to do on your own and even with a team, but it is possible. So let's get started. Welcome to this special episode, and please forgive my voice today. I've been battling spring allergies living in the South. (laughs) But the good news is the conversation with my guest was recorded earlier when I was feeling better, so the rest should be a little easier to listen to. Today, we're talking about psychological safety, a topic that's gained popularity over the past few years because it promotes a culture of openness and trust that helps to increase productivity and better creative problem solving. There are all kinds of benefits. And I always think there's a lot of serendipity in the ways I meet people and bring guests onto the show. So I was excited to be introduced to Mara Barkley through a mutual friend and to learn of her expertise in psychological safety. As Mara explains, you as a leader have a critical role to play when it comes to creating a culture of psychological safety. More about Mara. That's kind of tricky to say. (laughs) Mara has interesting background herself. She's a former professional firefighter, a certified change management specialist, and talent optimization leader with Predictive Index. She's a published author with more than 15 years of consulting experience as a speaker, curriculum designer, trainer, and executive coach. Mara has had the privilege of bringing her thought leadership on psychologically safe cultures to Fortune 500 companies, the U.S. military, and the International Monetary Fund, among others. She is passionate about the topic, as you will see, and brings very interesting perspective to consider. I know she'll help you learn more about psychological safety and get you thinking about what you might do to create the culture that's right for your organization. So enjoy my conversation with Mara Barkley. Mara, welcome to CEO on the go. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. Yeah, as we were talking about, a mutual friend connected us. And once I learned that you have expertise in psychological safety, I said, I've never done a podcast episode on that. I think now is the time. So we're meant to be here. I know that you have a lot of good insights and expertise to share. So I thought I would just kickstart it. And, and ask the question, why is this such an important topic to be talking about now? Well, I think that we could make the leap in logic that part of the great resignation was about toxic culture. And the leap of logic that I would like to offer people is 
in consideration of how that reflects trust and a lack of trust. And just when we were at our lowest, what we really needed was the company leaders were the company leaders to be able to to step up and act in a way that showed us that they were worthy of trust. And that did not happen. And in fact, there was a, a recent EY bit of research that was done. And I believe it was 52% of workers feel that any corporate attempts to be empathetic are inauthentic. And 47% feel their company doesn't allow or doesn't follow through on its promises. So we have a massive breakdown of trust. And without trust, and I think it's fair to say that psychological safety and trust go hand in hand. They don't trust the culture is safe to behave in certain ways. And and they're getting that information boots on the ground. They're getting it from a very reliable source, which is watching the people who have power and influence over them. So the reason that it's so important now is because hybrid and remote work are the future. I will declare that. I feel really comfortable declaring that. I mean, back to work, in, in my estimation, is nothing more than a massive real estate problem, a real estate debt that companies don't know what to do with. So they're, they want people to come back to work. That's, I mean, that to me, that really does not justify something as, as important as flexibility at work. And that, oh, by the way, is part of creating a psychologically safe environment is being flexible with work. So right now, psychological safety has never been more important. It is part of culture and culture is by and large how people are choosing where to work these days. It's such a sensitive topic and complex. And I know that it's in the language now of so many leaders and organizations are talking about it a lot, attempting to make some strides in that area. Some are doing it well, but a lot of organizations I think are falling short in terms of really being able to to put it into practice. So I know that you and I had talked offline about, you know, companies that that do psychological safety right the right way versus some others that may may struggle in that area. So um, we'd just love to talk more about what leaders should be thinking about to help improve their culture, you know, to, to create that trust and safety that's needed that impacts the bottom line, employee engagement, all of that. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think it's, it's important to, to note that this has never been something that has made its way into MBA programs. I don't think it's really fair to expect, especially especially in the command and control leadership indoctrination that is so common in our country specifically. I don't think it's fair to expect this, these men who clearly and have clearly do not have a psychologically safe environment for themselves. So that's where it starts. And I, I think what leaders need to be thinking about is what are my competitors doing? Because culture is far and away, one of the most powerful means of differentiating yourself from your competition and getting a competitive edge with talent and performance. So, and and I always say, I am motivation agnostic. I, as as a consultant who has a very deep agenda about creating psychologically safe, inclusive cultures where people feel like they belong and leveraging that to bring diverse voices into the most senior levels of leadership. That is my super secret agenda that I'm not talking about. Mm-hmm. That's my secret. 
Um, <laughs> secrets out. Secrets out, folks. Yeah. Uh, they want to do this, but they don't know how and or they're unwilling. They're unwilling to make some of the really big self-awareness leaps. It's it's a big shift. And this is going to define who's going to win at the end of the day. Oh, being uh, being uh, motivation agnostic. I don't care why a senior leader brings a, a person of color or a woman into their leadership team. I don't care why, as long as it starts happening. Do it because of money. Do it because of economics. Do it because it's the right thing to do or a combination of all three. As long as it's getting done, that's all that matters. As long as we're starting to see that representation and you will not keep it if the environment is not psychologically safe. They will they'll leave. Yeah. I wanted to go back to uh, a word that that struck me when you talked about awareness, increasing self-awareness. Would you say that that's a starting point for many leaders to, to begin to affect change, to understand themselves better? Yeah. I think it's very funny that we refer to behavior modification as a soft skill training, because quite frankly, there is nothing harder than taking a good look at yourself and owning your biases, especially when they are made conscious to you. Because these men, you know, and, and this is this is a no blame, no shame, no judgment statement. In America, as a white man, you have certain advantages or probably more accurately stated, you have a lack of obstacles that women and people of color have that fills our bandwidth, that makes it more difficult for us to do what you do. So that being said, there is a an unwillingness, I feel, to look at the the biases once they are made conscious. They don't want to look at them. They don't want to feel wrong because we don't have a space in our culture for people to grow in this way without feeling like we need to shame them for not knowing better. And I think like these men have not been really taught to, to know better better. A lot of them are genuinely interested in being, and they they believe themselves to be active allies. They have daughters that they really want to, you know, have maybe even take over their business. These are people who a lot of these men, I would say the majority of men, they really are well-meaning. They, they want to get in the game, but they don't know how, and they aren't aware of how they are contributing so the moment you look at a, at, a, at the moment a bias is made conscious, and I keep saying it like that because you cannot know your unconscious bias. That's why. Right. And we all have it. We all, oh, we do. all do. Men, women alike. So just thought I would mention that as well. Yes. It's really important that everybody understands you walk out the door every single day with a bias that may limit another person and you have to have it. It's a survival process that goes on beneath your awareness. And I think part of it is I, there is a massive amount of guilt once they once these men realize how they've been contributing and there's we don't really have a space for them to make these awakenings or i should say to to you know evolve into these awarenesses in a way that is fair and kind of practically minded all right now that we have this data how can we navigate your natural instinct to not hear a substantive idea that's presented by a woman or a person of color in your boardroom because you're not used to hearing it from someone who's uh, in the out group, right? So, you know, these types of things, they they are very, they make for a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. And a lot of men just, they don't, oh my gosh, really? You want yeah. me to look at that? Yeah, 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 <laughs> we do. But I, I think also it does not help 
that we we have created a very dichotomous outrage society that has contributed to this notion of I, I'm I'm kind of done, right? I'm done with my self-awareness. I've tried. Yeah. Enough of this introspective work. Yeah. I know, right? Like enough <laughs> with the microaggressions. <laughs> I can't, yeah. I can't keep track of your pronouns. I, you know, these are, you know, middle-aged people or maybe even boomers. This is a this is a very heavy lift we're talking about. In, in how many generations and four generations? Completely different <laughs> landscape. So yeah, I think that we we have the ability through neuroplasticity, but the will must be there. Yeah. And I was going to say, as you increase that self-awareness, it, it, there becomes a heightened sensitivity so that I think a lot of leaders, men and women uh, in general, feel like they're walking in a minefield knowing that, goodness, now that I know more about trauma, for example, or the impact, you know, or what other people have been through, have a, a, a better understanding now, uh, while it's good to have that sensitivity, I think it can be kind of scary for some leaders that are fearful of saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. Um, creating that environment that takes a lot of vulnerability to to create that safe space. Yeah, and I hear from some of my clients that have very. I mean, I use the word. I'll, I'll say like self aware or awakened because the word woke means different things to different people. Very self aware, self actualized, active ally, white male leaders who are hiring women of color. And uh, and men of color, and they've they're really good at bringing these diverse voices in. And some of these people are so accustomed to being betrayed, are so accustomed to being um, diminished in some way that they're looking. And so, an in a, a truly innocent comment, and I've heard some, and it's usually when they're when everyone's having a great time and they're in in, in a jovial state, and they make a a very lighthearted joke that is really quite tame and neutral, but someone who does not share their lived experience as a white man doesn't like the implications if you go two or three layers deep. And sometimes it just makes white men throw their hands and be like, I, I just, I quit. I'm going to stop trying. And it's, I get it. I get it. Uh, and at the same time, welcome to the world of women and people of color who through all of our earnest attempts to do things and, and earn things and get the job, you get passed over and you because because the these two people like you know went to Purdue together and you're like you throw your hands up he's like I'm just I'm I quit I can't so I'm like aha that's the that's the moment the resiliency now you have empathy for what we go through every day. You know they're just not and it to be fair it doesn't seem fair and it's not but it's like you get it now it it feels like you can't win. That's that's what we feel like. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, you know, there's some people listening who I know are, are really working hard on their culture. There may be others who, when they hear this topic, they might roll their eyes and say, you know, I hear a lot about psychological safety, but I see people that are using that in the wrong way, like as an excuse, right? Maybe to avoid accountability, you know, because they make the claim that I don't feel safe or people who see this as, as more kind of like coddling your workforce or having to be extra nice in some way. So what would you say to people who are experiencing that or say that, that that's their impression of what it's creating? Well, I'd say that it is absolutely a legitimate observation. And I would also say it is the exception, not the rule. So I'll make an observation on, on an example in just a moment, but I want to I want to compare it to, for example, um, blowing the whistle 
uh, or or reporting um, uh, like an assault, ninety nine point seven percent of those reports are legitimate, and you know, point three of them are false. So I want to make that comparison because psychological safety ninety nine point seven percent of the time is a critical part, the backbone of a healthy culture where you're going to get top performance out of your people. And the 0.3% of the time that it is used as a shield from underperformance is the exception, not the rule. There are ways to, I would say, protect or account for that. But of course, like anything, you're always going to have someone who figures out (laughs) how to take advantage of the system but the system is not set up to coddle people. It's set up to make it safe to get the highest performance out of people possible. That's what it's for. Uh, but they won't they won't do that. You won't get that unless you have this this culture and, and the psychological safety to back it up. So in the in the the case that you mentioned, in fact, uh, um, I was speaking to somebody at uh, one of the big consulting firms, well, we'll remain, remain name is, but one of the top five. And this individual said that they had a member of their team who was, I think, put on a pip or something like that because they were underperforming. And during the feedback session for the uh, underperformance, you know, they weren't hitting the KPIs. This person said they didn't feel psychologically safe. And I thought it was very clear that they were using it to obfuscate their uh, poor performance. And uh, it's unfortunate when people do that. And what they were reporting is that they didn't like it. I'm like, there's a very big difference between lack of psychological safety and just not liking some real feedback that you're getting about uh, underperforming. So, you know, I, I I think it is somewhat misunderstood in that way. So I, I think, again, this is education. I mean, if you consider that Fearless Organization by Dr. Amy Edmondson came out in 2018 and then the pandemic hit, this is Okay, so it's a relatively, I would say, new concept as far as being a narrative in the popular business culture. And 2018 happened, and then then it was a blur until basically like six months ago. Right. (laughs) So, you know, this is just kind of resurfacing as something that is very important. And, you know, I listen, I'm I don't, I'm not in the business of convincing people. You'll you'll come when when people start to get absolutely destroyed by their competition. They are going to have an economic imperative. The board will force the hand of the senior leadership and say, "Fix it, do better, gain that ground back." And they're not going to be able to look at processes and systems after a while. Eventually, they will return here, and I will wait patiently for that mountain to come to Mohammed because. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm not in the business of convincing people this stuff's real. The re- the research is unassailable, and um, you get it or you don't. And for people who do and they need help, there's a there's people like me. And yeah, well, that's that's one of the main reasons I wanted to to do a podcast on this topic because I think it is out there. People have questions. Sometimes they just hear the word psychological and they think, wait. I'm a manager. I'm not trained in psychology. I'm not a therapist. I <laughs> why do I have to, to do this? So it's um, it's new to some people. And then I see other organizations, to their credit, really uh, having these open conversations and trying to get to that place where people do feel included 
and uh, like they belong. We just had another great podcast a uh, couple of episodes be- before you with Robbie Samuels talking about creating virtual meetings and how to design those in a way where people all feel like they belong and all voices are heard, kind of creating that safe space too. So um, it's out there. Um, so, and to that point, a lot of leaders are trying to introduce the topic saying, okay, now this is our priority. So everyone should feel safe. Like, tell us what's on your mind. And it's not quite that simple. So I'm wondering if you have some specific tips or techniques that you could offer for leaders that are trying to introduce this kind of thinking, um, which can be you know, really sensitive and uncomfortable for them. So what, what, what are some things that they could do to make it a little bit easier? Well, first, I want to give you the definition from Amy Edmondson, because <clears throat> I think it creates a wonderful context to as a frame of reference. So, okay, so according to her, the psychological safety is the belief that no one will be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns, or mistakes, and that the team is safer in a interpersonal risk taking. So with that in mind, I would always ask someone, do you think every single person in this room in this meeting believes and will believe it to the point where they will act on it, that they won't be punished or humiliated personally or professional for speaking up, going against conventional thinking, right? So that that's the frame of reference here. The second thing is we are humans. Humans have psychology. It's the future to accept that and recognize that growth and creative abrasion and productive friction all require discomfort. So number one, get that frame of reference and really ask yourself, do you really think that people, you know, if you're the powerful one, you need to ask anybody here feel afraid that you're going to be humiliated or punished or like it's going to reflect badly. You need to start asking the question. Yeah. Will they speak up though? Or would they be too afraid in some cases? That is the perfect way to measure it. See, that's such a good question. So if question. you don't get feedback, if someone's Correct. not speaking up, Correct. then that's an indicate. That's just an indicator. That is a powerful indicator. And you'll find some teams have really uh, unhealthy because there's, there's a, a culture, there's a macro culture in the organization. Then there's a micro culture within each team because teams have different, you know, their, their culture is going to be defined by kind of what, what they do. So- you and everybody thinks you can't measure culture, you can't measure psych safety. Absolutely, you can. It's measured by behaviors and and typically it's measured by what you don't see, right? So a perfect example of this is when you have a healthy culture, you know about mistakes immediately because people feel comfortable reporting and they're like, oh, this happened. All right, how can we prevent it? Okay. If you are getting a high degree of reports of mistakes, intelligent failures, you know you've got a great culture. The reporting should go up, not down. Okay, so that's a, that's a great another frame of reference. So get ready to be uncomfortable and get ready for that to be okay for everybody, and that's part of it. Get comfortable with discomfort because that's where growth and that's where the great ideas actually happen. Uh, it needs to be respectful. So again, there needs to be some very clear frameworks around this. And the other thing that leaders need to do is be prepared to model it consistently and conspicuously. They need to, whoever has the most amount of power needs to be the first domino, or you need to put a domino in the room. For example, if you are a, uh, like a VP, you lead a team and you have a team lead that reports to you, that's running the team. 
In the meeting, you ask for upstream feedback and your domino, your team lead has something prepared that is real, that it's not inauthentic, but it's real. And then the team gets to witness that upstream feedback. It's respectful. They see how it's done. They see that nobody gets fired. They see that it doesn't impact it, the uh, like a review in a negative way. And, and they see, oh, it, it, did that really happen? Is everybody safe? Is everybody okay? Okay. And then that will cause another person to go. I, I liken it to this. Like I call it the mint bowl. I was at a conference once um, and it, there was a, a, a table of very fit women. And there was this bowl, a massive uh, uh, champagne glass or whatever. And it had those yummy, creamy mints. And I thought, I definitely want one of those. And nobody's touching them. And I know that I'm the kind of personality. I'm the, I recognize myself as a first domino. I wanted to see who else. <laughs> yeah. I was waiting. I'm like, who else sees himself as a domino? And finally, one of the women went. And then it was just, it was like, we alternated velociraptors. And they were gone in like, <laughs> like 30 seconds. They were gone. But that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Somebody has to break the ice. And typically it needs to be someone who has the most power and the most influence because if those people aren't present and, and aren't receiving, you, it's not enough to ask. It has to be received and it has to be witnessed. I've, I've heard lots of stories of CEOs doing lis listening tours and they're really positive and they're smiling. There's no way in holy hell anyone <laughs> is going to risk. That's so true. Not unless you've got a domino ready to go. It has to be. It has to be witnessed, and they have to witness the successful reception of questioning. They have to see it to believe In it. Action. Yeah. Good. Good. That is a great point. Um, well, I know we're we're running short on time, but I didn't know if there's any final tip or thought that you might leave leaders with who, again are trying to to make more effort in this area, recognizing how important that it is. Is there any one thing that you would say? Yeah, I, and it's a it's a wonderful quote by Steve uh, Grunert and Todd Whitaker. I believe they co-authored uh, School Culture Rewired. Every, every leader needs to start with this. The culture of any organization is shaped by the worst behavior the leader is willing to tolerate. Mm, that's powerful. Just let that marinate. And yes. start doing the math. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, Mara, thank you so much. I appreciate your perspective. I'm so glad that we could connect. I think it was really timely and that you'll get a lot of leaders thinking about this issue, maybe in a different way than they have in the past. Um, it's different for everyone, but you have so many great insights to share. So thank you. And is there any best way for people to connect with you or reach out or learn more about the work that you're doing? Certainly. Well, I'm on LinkedIn, so that's always a, an easy way to get in touch with me. And my website is morabarclay.com. I've got some, you know, information that the culture by the numbers on there, and my contact information, my email is is there as well. And you can see a little bit of the, about some of the services I offer. And I really like to just, I'm really open to having conversations with people to see if if there's something I can do to help if I can be a good fit. Because I'm not always, and I'm, I'm always really. I'm really open to having just that first conversation because diversity of thought is where we begin. And I really want to provide psychological safety for middle-aged white men right now because they need it. <laughs> they need it. They need a lot of it. So yeah. I'm like, I would well, like you're to- You're very be focused. Yeah. I yes. love your passion around the topic. So Absolutely. again, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. And for everyone else listening in, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week, building psychological safety and healthy cultures to the extent that you can and doing the work that matters to you. 
Thanks for tuning in. And as always, be sure to share this episode with someone else who might benefit or leave a review. You can join my email list by going to workmatters.com so you don't miss an episode. And there you can learn more about ways we serve mission-driven leaders like you. If there's a challenge you want to discuss, I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, keep growing as a leader, inspiring change, and doing the work that matters to you.